Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. T-A-E-A-M, Elgin, K270CO, Round Rock, Texas, Sports, The Horn, The Horn. Seeking specialized patient-focused orthopedic care? Contact the experts at Texas Orthopedics. Our physicians offer comprehensive surgical and non-surgical orthopedic care for children and adults. Spine care, sports medicine, trauma care, joint replacement, rheumatology, and more. Whether it's a mobility or movement issue or a traumatic injury, our goal is to get you back to good health and quality of life. Visit us at TXOrtho.com to learn more and to schedule an appointment. Texas Orthopedics, the largest independent orthopedic practice in Central Texas. Guests on the horn appear courtesy of the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. Vaqueros now delivers and offers curbside pickup. For info on placing your lunch or dinner order, visit vaqueroscafe.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on the horn. On a Wednesday afternoon, I'm your host, Patrick Davis. Coming up on the show today, we're going to get in to some college football talk. We got some more realignment news and realignment notes and people reacting to realignment coming up. Sark, uh, we'll get to a little bit more audio, talk a little bit more about some UT football. The Big Fat Poll of the Day and our answers and results from the Big Fat Poll of the Day yesterday. We will also be talking about the biggest news because it wasn't a big news day. The biggest news that came out today in sports, which is basically that Hard Knocks is out. And you can see the first Hard Knocks. We will talk about it, and I'll talk about why I have not seen it and may never see it. But we'll talk about that as well. Uh, we have uh, we will get into some NFL notes from around the league, a little Cowboys, a little Texans, uh, Astros and Rangers. Of course, the Astros with a epic comeback win last night. Uh, was very much fun to watch. Uh, USA, the men's team, but some people are already criticizing them. After one win, they are already being criticized. So uh, we'll talk into that. Last call, all that coming up on the show today on the Sports Complex. Uh, if you're tuning in and uh, if you're worried about the Rangers score, if you want a spoiler, I will give you the spoiler. I'm about to tell you what happened in the Rangers game. It is already done. So I give you the time there. Uh, the Rangers game is over, and they have dropped. The first game, the the first game since the trade deadline, they have dropped their first game. They have lost to the uh, Oakland A's uh, two to zero today. Uh, the Angels last night actually won a game, so we now do not have those two streaks going on anymore in the AL West. Uh, the Rangers lose today. The Astros play a little bit later tonight after that big win last night from Kyle Tucker. Uh, I'm here today, which would let you know that I did not win the lottery last night. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I have not checked my ticket, so I, I could still be a millionaire. Technically, I could still be a millionaire. Uh, 
but I, I'm not the I'm not a billionaire. I didn't win that one. Uh, I don't know how many of you bought tickets for it. I, uh, I I buy tickets for a lottery kind of weird. I don't I don't check them right away. I usually give myself uh, you know, a week of it because this is my theory on the lottery. Because I understand the odds of winning. It's like I'm not really expecting when I buy a lottery ticket. I'm not like, there's my ticket out. There, oh, don't worry about work no more. I bought me a ticket. I'm not worried about that. And I don't buy like $20 worth. I figure if I'm going to win, I'm going to win. So I buy one ticket, and I don't check it for a week. And it is my $2 that I throw away for hope. And for a week, I can have hope that things will turn out better and that, oh, no, no. And then uh, now I'll be living on the beach and having great life. And uh, me and Lou will just be enjoying uh, – margaritas at sunset every night and that that's that's the hope i get to have for for several days but i i I know when the lottery gets as big as it was then i get to basically the news will tell you you, half of your hope is dead which i think the news does plenty so i i know i did not win it all Uh, i do there is a great bit this is this is somewhat of how i feel about the lottery, of why I don't invest too much into it, why it is a $2 investment every once in a while to buy a little bit of hope. Uh, the, com- uh, the comedian Kyle Kinane had a great bit about the lottery. I don't understand why the people that play a lottery aren't more afraid of lightning. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you believe in those odds, shouldn't you? They <laughs> <laughs> got 20 bucks on the pick five. Is this a storm? Who? Yeah, I, I he makes perfect sense with this, and uh, so that's why I did not invest more time into uh, my my theories of, of buying twenty dollar lotteries, uh, the, the buying twenty lottery tickets, and and hoping that all works out. I don't do that. But uh, somebody who did, uh, who we're finding out more and more, people who basically just believed in hope, believed things would be okay, believed that they would be able to figure it out, and now don't worry about it. Is the teams left? In the, in the Pac-12. The four teams left in the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, we get the news a, a day or two ago that Stanford and Cal are talking to the ACC and that the ACC is mulling, adding a East Co- or West Coast addition to the ACC, to the Atlantic Coast, adding some Pacific Coast uh, to their, to their uh, conference. And the question would be, do you just bring in Stanford and Cal? Or since you're bringing them in, do you add in Washington State and Oregon State? Or do you, do you say, uh, you know what, we're a basketball conference. We like San Diego State more. We like some other California schools, and we're going to try and get some other schools in that area. And maybe we won't even take in Washington State and Oregon State. Uh, Washington State President Kirk Schultz uh, spoke and wrote a letter, spoke out in an interview uh, and he has made some remarks for the first time since this all went down. And his remarks show why people at Washington State are not exactly uh, thrilled that uh, he is in charge of running the organization. They've been having problems. Uh, they've been having issues with with finances anyway. They've had trouble keeping the schools aflo- the schools athletic programs afloat. They've discussed ideas of basically charging the students more money so that the athletics can have more money. That's one of the plans that's been floated out there. But he had the interview. Schultz came out, and and some of the parts, some of the keys of this interview is 
Schultz came out and basically said uh, they were hoping that they're going to get on the phone call. And this is after this is when Colorado had left, but no one else had left yet. And they said, okay, well, hopefully we're going to stabilize everything. And we, you know what? We got this Apple TV deal that, you know, Clayoff Cough is promoting, promoting, proposing this Apple TV deal. We're going to put this out. Things are going to go. We're going to finalize the deal. We are going to be good. We're just going to be working out particulars is what he thinks is happening in this meeting. And he goes, we just need to hope that Oregon and Washington are on board because those right now are two of our bigger schools. We need Oregon and Washington to be on. And they start the phone call and Oregon and Washington say, hey, guys, uh, just we, we don't want to be here the whole meeting because we've got important things to go do uh, instead of talking to you losers. So we're going to uh, tell you we've, we're just we're finishing our deal with the Big Ten right now. So they're on hold. We're going to call them. We're going to go back to them, and we're going to the Big Ten. Y'all figure out the Pac-12. That happens. Now Arizona, Arizona State, uh, and Utah are all – they're cool. They're, they say, all right, we got the Big 12 offer. We're out. And uh, this is where things start to get when you see what Washington State is doing. You see why these some of these Pac-12 schools are getting left in the dirt. You see why some of them – why some of these schools are not being able to progress, and they keep blaming other people, and other schools are. We see that Schultz says as soon as this comes through, he goes to his athletic director and goes, "Hey, eh, we've got our rolls up. We got to roll our sleeves up and get to work." And you're like, "Now you got to get to work? Now? Don't you think it's a little bit late? Don't you think you should have already been going to work? Don't you think you should have already had multiple deals on the table? You've seen what's happening. You've known since Texas and OU went behind, uh, went behind the Big 12's back and Bowlesby's back." You've known that people are doing this. Then you saw USC and UCLA. They went behind your back. So you know, hey, man, everyone's already talking to everybody else. We should – our phones, we need – if our phones aren't ringing, we need to start calling people and at least have conversations. We're fully aware. Phil Knight has told us that as, you t- as Oregon's main booster, he's calling the Big Ten. He's called the Big 12. He's called the SEC. He's telling us that. So we know they're talking to other conferences. We know everybody is talking, and we are not. And we're waiting until we're the last one standing. And now we're going to put it together. It's like you're going to prom, and you go, oh, I think we're all going to go stag. Everybody said we're going to go stag. And then you get up, and someone goes, oh, no, no, I'm not going stag. I'm going with this girl. And the next person comes up, and he goes, oh, you know, I'm not going stag. I'm going with this girl. And you realize that all the girls that you may have liked are already gone now because you kept waiting because you trusted that your friends were going to put bros before hoes. You thought that was a real thing. It doesn't exist. And people are not going to put your your financial well-being before theirs. It's not how the world works. And this is where Schultz starts to lose me in a full sense. Is is his statement? Here's a quote from uh, from Kirk Schultz, the president from Washington State. College athletics is at its worst with this realignment stuff. Everyone is truly looking out for themselves. What it also does is change behavior, and people stop being honest with each other. Did he just describe all of business in America all of the time? I I don't I. This is this seems like ninety five percent of business in America. It seems like everything he has done in his career somewhat plays into this. 
oh, no, no, you know, we we tell these students that we're going to give them, we tell these students to take out massive loans to come to a university, and we tell them we're going to give them a brighter future, and then we put them into a a program that that uh, most students get out of and they can never afford to pay off their, their student debts. But, no, these people are just looking out for themselves. They're not looking out for the greater good. Kirk Schultz goes on. He goes on in this interview to talk about what the possibilities are for Washington State, which is interesting because we know Stanford is talking right now. Stanford has the best shot to go anywhere because Stanford is Stanford. And they at least bring a good sports program in everything they do. Now, we know the lights suck at their baseball field. I'll warn any conference that takes them, tell them to upgrade their lights. We know that. We know that they're a little hoity-toity that they don't necessarily want to be around you you schools that don't have the academic standards of a Stanford. They don't want that, so you may get some of that. But they're a, they're a good program. They're a well-run school. They're a good program. So I get why people would want to have them on. Cal, it's another one. Man, you get an access into California. You get some money in that market. Awesome. I get why you want to take Cal. Oregon State, Washington State, I don't know why anybody would want them right now. They're not great programs. I mean, if Mike Leach is there, maybe you go for Mike Leach. The same reason you go for Colorado and Dion. It's, hey, man, at least they got a fun coach. Maybe. But he's not there. Mike Leach has passed on. Mike Leach is, is going down now as a, as a legend. He says, at the end of the day, us doing something on the East Coast. And let's a he- it's a hell of a lot of money. There's just no way to make it work. So he's saying, unless you give us a ton of money, ACC, we're not really interested. We're not interested in going all the way over to the ACC unless you give us a full share. We're not taking less to go over and join a conference. We're, we were still trying to hold out hope that somebody cares about us. He said that he's looking at Mountain West. This is probably the most likely scenario for Oregon State and Washington State is they end up in the Mountain West. That's probably what it is. And he also mentioned that the Pac-12, maybe, maybe they could try and bring the Pac-12 back to life. Yes, Washington State and Oregon State. If, if they get to keep Stanford and they get to keep Cal, because they got to keep these two schools, right? We got to have somebody. Nobody cares about us. We got to have Stanford and we got to have Cal. If we keep them and they don't, they don't make the deal with the ACC, right? Maybe we can do it. And maybe we can steal some of these Mountain West schools and restart the Pac 12. And maybe we can go into Texas. And maybe if we get into Texas, and we can start to steal some of their schools because now we know the Big 12 is down because Texas is in the SEC and Texas A&M is in the SEC. And the Big 12 has Texas Tech and TCU and Houston and SMU and Baylor. They have all these schools. But maybe we'll steal an SMU. Maybe we'll, we'll go and maybe we'll get Texas State. Austin's a growing market. It's right down the road. Maybe we'll get us a Texas State. I don't think it's happening. I think you're still holding out for hope if you're in the Pac-12 and if you're one of these small schools. And what's really what's what's amazing is when you saw the quotes of some of the other athletic directors and presidents of their schools, what they started to say about the Apple TV offer and what they thought of a subscription service. They kind of treated it a little bit more as a joke. Here's Arizona Arizona president uh, Robert C. Robbins. He, uh, this is his opinion. This is what he said about when they were presented with the Apple TV subscription deal. So parts of it were very, very compelling and exciting. And it was Apple. Um, 
and it was you know in in our backyard and um, but I think the the base price the guaranteed price the fact that there was no linear and that it was subscription based none of us you know we were trying to think well it's going to be like selling uh, you know candy bars for little league or you know girl scout cookies uh. it's going to be like selling candy bars for little league it's going to be like girl scout cookies that is what he said about a major college football conference and what they thought of their TV deal that George Klyovkov could present them. That's what he thought of it. He thought, he equated what they put together as selling candy bars for Little League. He said George Klyovkov took the Pac-12 and and relegated us to going out and trying to sell our own things. And the rest of the the Pac-12 was fine with it. Oregon State, Washington State, they're fine with it. Now, everybody else started to see it and started to go, ah, oh, you know what? We, we need to rethink this. We need to get out of here. But Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, they all seem to be fine with it, which is crazy because we were talking about Kirk Schultz and his comments because he finally came out today and started to talk about trying to make himself the victim, trying to make it, you know, I'm just an honest guy in this world. I'm just an honest guy who was screwed over by people with their own best interest in mind. That's what he's saying. Here's Kirk Schultz a few months ago explaining why a deal that's not particularly, that this deal in particular, but why you need to have a firm number of what money you're going to be getting. You can't throw a number up there, build a budget off it, and then find out later that you were $5 million off in that number because you took the best projections that were there and said, hey, let's just do it. And then when it doesn't come to pass, we put ourselves in a really tough spot. I can't overemphasize. We can't build a budget off of projections that have no basis in reality. And that's what got us here. And we just got to be careful not doing that moving forward. That was Washington State President Kirk Schultz a couple months ago telling you, hey, you know how we got in this this problem in the first place? Was we projected the scene to be, we projected the landscape of college football to be one thing. We projected we would be making this amount of money, and we weren't. That's what we projected. We can't do that. We can't take the best possible projections. And then when he works on the board of directors with the Pac-12 and he works with the regents, and he works with everybody to get a deal for the Pac-12, and he helps out George Klyovkov, and Klyovkov comes back with a subscription-based service where everything is going to be based on projections because you don't know. And it's not that you don't know, hey, what are we getting You know, in five years? No, no, it's what are you getting this year? How many subscriptions dropped? Hey, you know what? We're doing a Pac-12 subscription, and uh, Arizona State lost their first three games. We lost uh, every subscriber from Arizona State. We lost 70% of subscribers from Arizona State. We lost 200,000 subscribers. Let's just say. All right, well, now the next team, they go on a two-game losing streak. We just lost another 60,000 subscribers. We just lost another one. They want money back, and they're complaining. And and now we're spending money. We're trying to put together, and now people are complaining because our programming is not good enough because we don't know how much money we're going to make, so we can't afford to project, as you said, and budget. Everything you just said is the reason why you cannot run with a subscription-based service when you're talking about one of the most valuable commodities in television today, which is college football. It was never going to work. 
and to blame other schools and to blame anybody else other than your own inability to project the future landscape of television deals and college football is hypocritical and it's stupid. And all it really is is another excuse for you to feel bad about yourself because you failed at your job. And in reality, when you say that, man, you know, it brings out the worst in people. It brings out the worst because they're trying to do it. What are you trying to do right now? You just said, man, maybe we can go to the Pac-12. Man, you know, hey, man, we can only go to the East Coast if, if they offer us enough money. That's what you because you're looking out for yourself. Because that's what you're supposed to do in America. I don't always agree with what Deion Sanders said. I don't agree with him all the time. But when he was asked about a realignment and when he was asked about people getting mad about realignments and people uh, criticizing people about realignment, I think he was kind of on the nose on this one. All this is about money. You know that. It's about a bag. Everybody's chasing a bag. Then you get mad at the players when they chase it. How's that? How do, how do the grown-ups get mad at the players when they chase it when the college is chasing it? Yeah, that's true. I, I, just I know, I know that's true. A couple, couple more teams moving today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Crazy. yeah, same teams are talking about us, right? <laughs> 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 oh, Lord, that was good. There's you go. There's Deion Sanders. Hey, man, you get mad about it. You get mad about it. You get mad about it when the players do it. You get mad about it when the other schools do it. You get mad about it when everybody does it. When you do it, it's, it's the right thing to do. Guys need to get out of it. And you need to realize that this is what the future is of college football. This is the future of college sports. And I know it's not ideal. It's not what everybody wants. But it is what it is because the money is too big. And the guys, when the paycheck's too big, you can't turn around and say, no, let's let ESPN make all the money and Fox make all the money. And we'll take less so that we're not, we're not exploiting people, so that we're not exploiting these student athletes. We're not exploiting our, our, the parents of our student athletes who can't fly to these schools. You can't say that. That's crazy. You're not going to let someone else get your bag. So if you're, if you're now one of these schools and, and you, you're getting through and you've moved conferences and you go, I want you to have the viewpoint of Sark. And this was the, one of my favorite things Sark had at his last press conference. There's two parts of it I really like about Sark when he was asked about realignment. And I like two parts of this. I'll play it for you right now and I'll tell you what I liked. I talked about all this a year ago. We were the talk of realignment a year ago. We talked about it last year. This year we're in the Big 12. I don't, what everybody else is doing, hey, I said it a year ago, adapt or die. College football is changing on a lot of levels, so you got to adapt to what it is. You all have to adapt to what it is, right? The, the game is changing. The, the conferences are changing. NIL is changing. Transfer portal is changing. We're in the Big 12 this year. That's what our focus is on. What, what everybody else decides to do, that's up to them. There you go. Adapt or die. Everything is changing. Everything is constantly changing. Adapt or die. Go ahead. Make your move, but you can't sit and complain about it. What do you say at the end? Hey, man, we're in the Big 12. We're going to go try and win the Big 12. We're going to go try and win a national championship. We're going to do what we can handle. I love it. I love that attitude from Sark coming out of it when you see so many schools that are so behind the eight ball and not pushing it's nice to be a Longhorns fan where you know as much grief as Texas got a year ago when they moved or two years ago or three years ago whenever it was when they announced the move 
you saw why. When I could play you all that stuff of, of what, it, what the Pac-12 is going through with Klyovkov, they saw that with Bowlesby. That was the future until they brought in Brett Yormark. That was the future. Texas had to leave. If Texas doesn't leave, then Bowlesby's still there. It may all still go down. The Big 12 may not be here. If Texas doesn't leave, if Texas and Oklahoma don't leave, there's a chance that the, that the Pac-12 exists and the Big 12 doesn't because the Big 12 is what was absorbed. That's a reality that could exist if Bob Bowlesby was still in charge because he didn't forward think like Brett Yormark did, and Brett Yormark helped kill the Pac-12. If we talk about bad commissioners, let's go over and talk about some bad owners. It was our big fat poll of the day yesterday. It's our big fat poll of the day. Let's get into it. Patrick's big fat poll of the day on the horn. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line number, how you can join the conversation with us here on the horn on the sports complex. 512-337-3776. We asked you yesterday because of all the Kevin Brown uh, noise because Kevin Brown was uh, suspended for talking about basically statistical facts of the Baltimore Orioles, and they get their karma last night when they give up a home run, a grand slam in the in the in the top of the ninth. This is the audio. This is the crowd last night in Baltimore. Three, When you can have a audience, when you can have a crowd that's packed out to see you because you put a good product on the field and they still hate you as an owner, they still hate you and tell you to freak Kevin Brown. That's a that's a special type of ownership right there. We asked you yesterday who is the current worst owner in American sports. We put the poll up. We had a lot of suggestions. A lot of them were great. Love some of the stuff on Twitter. Love the Antonio Brown on Twitter. That was great. Uh, some great suggestions on there. I, so we asked, but a lot of people kept bringing up past sports owners and owners that are no longer owners, but they were terrible. And the winner of the poll yesterday was Jerry Jones, which I don't agree with, but that's who you guys voted for. And if we're going to talk all time, I want to try and save Jerry Jones some face. So I'm going to bring the poll back with a different phrasing today to save Jerry Jones some face because I don't think he's the worst owner. But I, I, you guys did. You guys voted for it. That's who you picked. So we're putting up the big fat poll of the day. It'll go up on social media, but I need your question, your your uh, your suggestions, so we can put it up on the poll on our social media later tonight. Who is the worst owner in American sports history? Is what we are asking today. Who is the worst owner in American sports history? Opens us up to now the Donald Sterlings and uh, and the Dan Snyder's and the Bud Adams and all those come back into the equation. So hit us up on the Specs text line five one two. 337-3776. Who is the worst owner all time in American sports history? Uh, and I wanted to give you, I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions here. I'm going to put in a couple of ones that you may not go to first and foremost. And, and I'll, Marge Schott, I'm going to throw that one in there first for you. Marge Schott, <laughs> not a terrible owner in the sense of she like as she ran the team, she ran the team okay. But everything behind the scenes has got to put her in there. And I'm going to read you one quote from March Shot that will, I think, single-handedly possibly put her on the list of one of the worst owners of all time. Here's a direct quote from March Shot. 
Hitler was good in the beginning, but he went too far. That's a direct quote from Marge Schott, former owner of the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> That's a owner of a professional baseball team giving you what her opinion is on a subject that why would ain't why just don't answer that question. Why would you answer that question at all? And I'm going to give you another one. This one's less terrible, but it's a, he's one of the worst owners in the sense of ruining a franchise. Ted Stepien. He owned the Cav- Cleveland Cavaliers from 1981 to 1983. Ted Stepien is so bad at ownership that there is now a rule called the Stepien rule in the NBA in the NBA CBA, which basically the Stepien rules. If whenever you see uh, when they're talking about trades and what can happen, the Stepien rule is a rule that says that. You cannot trade first-round draft picks in uh, consecutive years. So if you trade your 2025 draft pick, you can't trade your 2026 first-round draft pick. You have to trade your 2027. And the reason they did this is because when Ted Stepien bought the Cavs, they were not a very good team. And he wanted to make them better, and he wanted to make them better right away. And he said, the draft is not how we do it because the draft back in that day wasn't the same. You had to pay players. That He didn't want to do that. He wanted to get known active players now. And so he started to trade away all his future first-round draft picks to start bringing in players. And he did it very, very poorly. Got guys with injuries, got guys that didn't pan out, guys that had potential but never reached it. And basically trade away 10 years of Cavs' future first-round draft picks. And the team was still awful. So they basically forced him to sell the team in 1983 because he's ruining his franchise. Cleveland fans can't stand him. He's destroyed. He doesn't want to own the team anymore because he's awful. He's not making any money. Then to get someone to buy the new team, they have to, the NBA has to then give this Cavs just other first-round draft picks. They just have to give them some back because there's no way this team will be able to survive for the 10 years that Stepien ruined them for. If you get a rule named after you because of your incompetence, it has to put you near a list or in consideration as the worst owners in sports history. Ted Stepien there. That's the Big Fat Poll of the Day. Tell us what you think, your suggestions for our poll of the worst sports owners in American sports history all time. Give it to us. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line. When we come back, we'll be talking about hard knocks and my disdain for reality television and uh, why I think hard knocks falls into that. Here on the Horn, 1019 AM, AM 1260, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons, only on the Horn. These arms are the Welcome back to the Sports Complex here on the Horn. Since it's our debut week, our musical theme of the week is playing all songs that were the debut singles for some of the biggest artists in music history. This, of course, Otis Redding. Just uh, beautiful. Start off the day with a little with Otis Redding. Well, I mean, not start off. Start off the show. The day, if they're starting off your day right now, 
you know, I hope you're working nights. Let's put it that way. I don't want to criticize anybody. I've had some friends. I've I was once. <laughs> it was in my younger days. There was once that uh, my neighbor, someone smashed the back windshield of my car. And uh, and my neighbor waited till noon to wake me up to tell me. He's like, I couldn't wait anymore. <laughs> someone smashed down. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I was a much younger man, and uh, we were working for a band at the time, so my schedule was uh, a little bit different, that I would sleep a lot more during the day. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not, I don't think I could. I don't know if I last time I slept till noon. I bet I could do it. I, 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 have, I have confidence in myself that I could still be, you know, just just really, really lazy. Uh, let's, uh, we're big fat poll of the day today is the uh, – who is the worst owner in American sports history? Yesterday we had the worst current owner in American sports. Y'all voted for Jerry Jones. I don't believe it. I want to give him some retribution. So I'm going to put him up in a poll with the worst owners of all time. Some truly despicable people, and hopefully you will not vote for Jerry Jones again. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help out Jerry Jones. <laughs> There's some suggestions. George Steinbrenner is up there. I can't. George Steinbrenner is, uh, look, first of all, he's in Seinfeld. And the story that he got cut from Seinfeld, that they actually got him to do it and then figured out it didn't work because he was so bad they had to get Larry David to do it. But I don't know if I'm going to put George Steinbrenner on there. I mean, he won, he was, he won a lot. He was terrible if you were not a Yankees fan. I think if you're a Yankees fan, you know, you hated him, but you loved him because he won, and he's definitely better than his kid. Uh, let's see. We also have uh, Donald Sterling, of course, March shot. Donald Trump, I did not think yet. Yeah, Donald Trump in the USFL was another one uh, who did not do very well. Uh, that was uh, not a great one. Uh, let's get into, but uh, if you want to join that conversation, 512-337-3776 is how you join the conversation here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. The Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Tell us who you think the worst owner in American sports history is. And we will get our poll together. We'll put that out later, and you guys can vote online as well. Hard Knocks debuted last night. I found out about it this morning when people were talking about it. Uh, I have not watched Hard Knocks. And when I say I have not watched Hard Knocks, I will tell you I've never watched Hard Knocks. It is not something that has ever interested me. It's not something that I ever uh, really was... uh, desperate to watch and ever and and i've had hbo i've had abilities to watch it it was not a it's not a simply financial decision to not get the the hard knocks uh i i understand it a bit more when when back in the day when there wasn't social media and and, and 25 cameras in every locker room and 25 cameras and they're just, just putting out material that maybe you know you go oh man this is how this works i get a little bit more of that but I wasn't really that interested in it then because I, I've been lucky enough to do sports coverage and work in some cool different environments and work on you know different areas. I, I've, I've been into some of these areas. So I, I get that you know maybe there's a little bit more access than, than other people get, but I've seen a lot of this stuff. I've been lucky in my life to be able to do this. I've worked in, in you know between music and radio the last 20, 25 years. I've done a lot of crazy things. So I, I've got to be able to see, and when I say I don't mean crazy, I mean – I've been able to do a lot of things that you know you wouldn't expect. I would not have expected myself in high school to be able to do. So, I never really got fully into the hard knocks thing. And when people try and explain it to me, and they try to always push why they think hard knocks is going to be great this year, or whatever, 
this year to me seems the most of why I would not like it because it is Aaron Rodgers and New York City. It is the key of phoniness. And I know Aaron Rodgers wants to be very not phony, but he also understands that if he is just who he is, then everybody's going to hate him because he's going to talk about darkness retreats more and he's going to talk about, and he also knows that he, in his head, I want to say he knows in his head, he's right about all this stuff and you're wrong. And so I, I think that there's just something about it where he knows I know how to play against the cameras. I'm going to come out as America's sweetheart and I'm going to be the guy who's changed everything and man, we're just going to do this and we're going to win a Super Bowl and isn't it going to be great? And it's the real problem with with all reality TV and why Hard Knocks is reality TV. And now, every once in a while, you get a Daryl Revis, you get a, a Rogers Cromartie, you get a Jamal Williams last year was amazing. You get real people that are just the type of people that you can put a camera on and they're crazy. And you take a camera off and they're crazy. And you put them in a room by themselves and they're crazy. You get those people and they're just going to say weird and funny things. That That's great. But most reality television is people acting the way they think you should be. they should be acting, right? And they're trying to go, oh, no, no, I'm playing a character. I'm playing this role of myself. But you're not. You're supposed to be. It's supposed to be real, and it's not real. And when you start doing that, it starts to take away from the game. I love sports, but I don't like made-up documentaries about it where the narrative is decided before that you film it, before you do the research that you've already decided the narrative that you're going to do. I don't like reality TV where you say, oh, no, no, we know what we need, and we, we have these cadences we need to hit. We need to get the guy who gets cut. We need to have the coach get in there. When does the coach get mad? And, oh, we're going to show a drop pass, you know, and, and Aaron Rodgers is going to get mad, and then he's going to make up for it, and then we're going to show the O-line and their relationship, and we're going to show all this stuff. All of those I get. I, I get why it works, and it works in television. It sells. It's not for me. So I can't tell you about Hard Knocks, but I can tell you on Ian Rod B this morning that they talked about the curse, the curse of Hard Knocks. And they talked about how I believe only five teams, five playoff wins have come off of teams that are appearing in these these reality TV shows. It's terrible. Here's Ian Robbie this morning. Talking about hard knocks and the hard knocks curse. Time for Rod's round of the day. And I want to talk about hard knocks a little bit. So there are a lot of people excited about the Jets. They're going to be playing in what I believe, I think we all agree, is the toughest division now in the NFL. Got the Bills. They're still going to be that. a powerhouse. Miami's going to be much better. Got Vic Fangio now to D.C. to take over the defense. Jalen Ramsey, he's dealing with an injury, but he'll be back. And that's an upgrade on defense. So I think Miami's going to be legit. And the Patriots. The Patriots won't be a – it's not a pushover. They're not the Patriots with Tom Brady as the quarterback, but they're not a pushover. They still got uh, Belichick, so they'll, they won't be an easy win. And then you have the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 which are the story of the offseason so far. Um, the NFL is you know, America's number one TV show, and right now one of, I think, the most interesting of, of those characters is the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And remember, we, you talked about it yesterday – uh, e that 
Hall of Fame game Jets uh, play. Well, let's say played in, but they uh, participated in. Aaron Rodgers was players like, who will the never sideline. play for the Jets. Exactly. Play <laughs> yeah. Um, but ended up getting some of the highest ratings we've ever seen for a preseason game. Actually, got higher ratings than the NBA playoffs did. It's crazy. So people are just. Really thirsty for football. They have an appetite for it. They're Joneses for it. But also, people are just captivated by this Jets story with Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. So uh, there are some people picking the Jets to win the division and to make a playoff run. Uh, I went and looked at the Hard Knocks uh, series since 2001, the 20 teams that have participated in Hard Knocks, to try to see what their playoff success stories were like and how many of them actually won playoff games out of those 20 teams seven made the playoffs which is that's a decent number three won only three won a playoff game though out of the 20 teams since 2001 that have been on hard knock so i i went a little bit deeper i said okay so we're just looking at reality based TV docu-series about NFL teams. And there's the All or Nothing series as well. And you have five NFL teams that have done that. So I went and looked at that series to try to see how many of those teams, it was Arizona, the Rams, Cowboys, Carolina, Philly, how many of them actually won a playoff game. One out of five of that group, uh, which gives you right now four out of 25. I went and looked at the quarterback documentary on Netflix. I mean, you had three quarterbacks. You had Kirk Cousins, you had Marcus Mariota, and, of course, you had Patrick Mahomes. So out of those three uh, quarterbacks who were followed around by a camera crew to make a reality docu-series about their season, you only had one quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl, <laughs> that won playoff games out of those three. So add all that up, all right, and you got 28 Possible uh, situations where there's a docu-series about a team, uh, whether you're talking about all or nothing, hard knocks, or you're talking about the quarterback series on Netflix. And out of those 28 possible scenarios, you're talking about now five that won a playoff game. Oh. Five that won a playoff game. So I'm not, I'm not saying that they can't. Win a playoff game. Numbers the Jets. would tell you, they but I'm won't. saying recent history of the reality TV docu series uh, behind the curtain. Yes, being a part of your the cultivation of your culture as a team. That something about it is off. That something about it doesn't lead to playoff success. Now, my theory is simple, and I think it's a simple theory that everybody can uh, relate to. When cameras are around, human beings are just different. Some people are shyer. Some people are more outgoing. Whatever. Cameras are around. People usually aren't their authentic, genuine selves. You get an inauthentic, disingenuous, uh, you know, per projection of whoever that person wants you to think that they are. And this happens in, I think, reality TV, actually, when they have these dating shows. I wouldn't track The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right, you, you got tracked four, it. And when you went back and looked at, it, you got forty-seven seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. So we're talking about cultivating a, a a relationship culture, a connection with another human being, with cameras all around you, which means you're probably being disingenuous, you're being inauthentic, you're not your real self, you're away from the real world, you're on some island somewhere, whatever, put you know, giving you alcohol and you're hanging out in some beautiful uh, exotic locale, which all these things are, <laughs> you know, they with are mirages. Other dudes, and yeah. <laughs> all these random scenarios you're competing whatever it may be uh, it's not necessarily the best environment to create a connection a genuine connection with another human being which is why when these people leave these situations as a couple they're almost doomed they're doomed to fail right it's a, it's inevitable so out of those 47 bachelor bachelorette uh seasons 
I found only nine of them are still together. <laughs> Nine out of forty-seven. Nine out of forty-seven are still right. together. Uh, yeah, it's about, it's about what we expect. You're like, yeah, that's about right. That's, that's those things are I've doing the thing. I've always said on those shows that because uh, eventually, if you get married or are with that person, they're going to watch the show and they're going to be. What the hell were you? You were with her too. <laughs> you, you did what? You said what about you me? You said that to her as well. Oh, you kissed her. Then Same you thing went. You kiss- said to me. <laughs> what did y'all do in the fantasy suite? Yeah, what was going on yeah, in there? Yeah, exactly. Over. So, no, it, 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 it's, it's very similar to me because when, at, at that time, these people are trying to create a genuine connection with another human being with cameras around them, with all these extenuating circumstances. It's just not really, like I said, a a a productive environment right, to try to connect with another human being. Same thing when you're trying to cultivate a culture of a football team at its infancy, at the beginning. Training camp, different human beings who are trying to work together toward a common goal and you guys are trying to fit all these different personalities together. All of that happening with some people now being fake some people are now shying away from connecting with their teammates because the cameras are all around. Some people like that. Some people don't like it. And it just creates a, a fake environment. And I think it's tough to cultivate a true culture that is going to be, you know, I, I think that is something that's going to help you. Um, it's something that's beneficial when times get tough late in the season, injuries, all that mounts up, and then you have to go into playoffs and try to win games against really good teams who have a really productive, a really positive, uh, you know, culture that can help them win games. It's a part of the DNA of their team. And I think that ultimately that's why the relationships fail for the bachelor and the bachelorette. And that's why these teams who are on these reality TV docuseries, they have a hard time winning playoff games because it's a, it's tough to build a culture that way. That's what I'm saying. It's tough to build a culture. These people are not real. Everything is made up for TV and a thing in sports where it should be just competition. We should just be enjoying these games. And I get it. We can have the stories, and I don't mind. There's social media. We'll get the inside. They'll show us celebrating after a game. They'll show us all the good things. I, I just I don't need hard knocks anymore. I didn't need, I don't, I didn't need it ever. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you are still – caring about Hard Knocks. They want to do it more now. They want to do it during the season, and nobody wants that. No team wants to be a part of Hard Knocks anymore because they know what the beats are, and they know how much it distracts, and they know the record that Rod just talked about. People don't win. But as much as doing two hours of radio by myself a day would make me think, you know what? Let me watch Hard Knocks, and they'll give me some content and some things to talk about. And I don't know if I can do it, and I'll tell you why, because I can't watch reality TV. And the best way I've heard it summed up is by comedian Dana Gould. I got to interview him a couple years ago at Moon Tower Comedy. Just a good guy. Hilarious. One of the funniest guys. I worked on The Simpsons forever. Here's Dana Gould explaining my thoughts on reality television. You will never experience less reality <laughs> than when you're watching a reality show. You're watching people who aren't actors put into situations created by people who aren't writers. And they're second guessing how they think you would like to see them behave if this were a real situation, which it's not. And you are passively observing this. You're watching an amateur Production of nothing. 
it's it's like a photo of a drawing of a hologram. There you go. That's my viewpoint on reality television and why I'm not going to be watching Hard Knocks and why I just kind of want all reality TV to go away. Pay your writers, pay pay your actors, give me real television, and, uh, you know, make enough bad TV that there's some good. Don't make enough reality television that there's good TV because all it is is the, the most entertaining seven minutes out of a day. I can't stand it. We're going to come back. We will give you some of your answers for the worst sports owner in sports history. Uh, for our big fat poll of the day, text that in 512-337-3776. The worst owner in American sports history. Give us those answers, our suggestions there. We'll read off some of those, figure out who we're going to put on our poll later today for the worst owner in sports history. And uh, we'll tell you a story about how things in Florida, even the mayors, maybe getting into some trouble, maybe keeping out of trouble. I don't know. We'll tell you when we come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. You know the day destroys the night. Back on the Sports Complex here on the Horn. Playing some music. Best debut songs from some of the biggest bands in the world for our debut week here on the Horn. God, man. This feels like this shouldn't be the first song of course. But I guess it is. From every list I've seen, this is the first song from the Horn. Let's get to uh, some of your answers from the Specs text on 512-337-3776. Our big fat poll of the day today. We are trading suggestions for who is the worst owner in reality in, in American sports history. Uh, I, I feel like it's going to be hard to narrow this list down. Uh, we have uh, a good one here. The 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 guy who killed the Expos and then also doesn't keep the Marlins in contention, even though they keep getting up. He's just notoriously cheap. Uh, Jeffrey Loria is the guy who he moved the Expos. He killed him, moved him to Washington, then sold the team to the commissioner's office, basically, and then bought the bought the the Marlins, and then has just kind of ruined them as well. And every time they're good, he sells off all the players because he doesn't want to. You know, he just he realizes the scheme of how to make money in MLB is not necessarily always winning. And he just wants to win money. He doesn't care about owning a team the way he owns a team to to just have make money. So I agree. Jeffrey Loria is up there. Of if you're a fan of any of his teams, he he just is a terrible person to have a, uh, have as your owner. Uh, Bob Ursay, he says. And he doesn't like Jim Irsay either. Art Modell, of course, moved uh, moved the Browns to Baltimore, and then they win the title. Dan Snyder, Donald Trump, all on his list. Uh, lots of good. Yawkey, uh, Thomas Yawkey, I think it is, uh, owned the Boston Red Sox for like 40 years. He was one of the last teams to integrate. There is a dis- di- dispute of uh, how much he fought against integrating. Let's put it that way. There's Some people say because he was the last all-white team, in MLB that that he was holding out against it. Others say no, he had people in the minor leagues and it was he wasn't against it. They just weren't as good. I don't know. It doesn't seem good either way. So I get why he's on this list. I can understand why he's on that list. Uh this listener says, My vote for Marge Shot and her freaking dogs. Uh had to put her out of had put her out of my mind until you reminded me. Sorry to remind you. But Adams also comes up again as an Oilers fan. I, I can't stand him either. I don't know if he's gonna make the list. I know if he's on my list, he would be on there. I can't stand him. 
but I don't know if he'll make the list when there's some other really good names up there. John Fisher of the A's, uh, a very topical one. He is uh, he's definitely an awful. That's uh, from D Fry there on the text line. Yeah, uh, that is uh, John Fisher. I think he made his money from Gap. Is how he made his money, and basically was his idea is it's just I'm going to tank the A's and move the team, and uh, unless you give me a free building that I want to put no money into, then uh, you have to give me free. You have to give me basically billions of dollars for free, or else I'm moving your baseball team, which is it's just awful. And he's not the only owner that does this. Uh, but it is uh, extremely annoying uh, when when you see people doing this. Uh, cannot stand it. Uh, we get Al MFing Davis. Yeah, uh, we had Mark Davis is one of the people that a lot of people were complaining about yesterday of current owners. Is Al Davis worse than Mark Davis? Is Mark Davis worse than Al Davis? I don't know. I, I feel like Al Davis at least won because he was just win, baby. And if you're not cheating, you're not trying. He did look like the bad guy from Star Wars at the end. The other bad, not Darth Vader, the other bad guy. He looked like him at the end. I don't remember his name. Sorry, I don't. I, don't, I, I have to recall too many athletes in sports. Try to remember sports owners' names. I can't remember Star Wars characters, too. Uh, uh, Charles Comiskey was kind of a S owner and a notorious cheapskate. Yes, that is another one. And uh, people do. Bill's like, Jerry Jones is a good owner. He's a terrible general manager. And I agree with this. I agree with this wholly. I will give one caveat to this. He is the one who hired himself as general manager. So if he has hired the worst general manager in the NFL consecutively and not fired the worst general manager in the NFL, does that not make him a bad owner? That is my retort to him being a bad owner. I get it. I don't think he should be on that list. That's not who I would have picked. I put him on there for you guys, and you voted for him. So I was just giving it to you guys. So hell no, Al was a winner. Took on the NFL and won. So yeah, I, I think that uh, if we're going to say, I think we say Mark Davis is uh, worse of the Al Davis, Mark Davis uh, Raiders ownership. Uh, keep sending those in. 512-337-3776 is the number for the Specs text line, how you can send in uh, your answers to the Big Fat Poll today or anything else we're talking about. Uh, we can do any of that. Uh, we'll get back to our Tampa Bay Mayor story here in a little bit, but uh, we're going to come up and talk about some NFL stories when we come back after the break here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 1019 AM 1260 on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.